Hello, my dudes. Welcome back to Previously Gifted. Today, I just feel like talking about finances. Um, sorry about last week's episode. I do apologize because truly, I wasn't feeling it last week. Um, and I, I never like to post anything that I don't enjoy making. Um, but last week, you know, I just wanted to make sure I got an episode up. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't horrible, but it definitely was not my best. So I'm sorry about that. But anyway, we're here and we're going to talk about very little that has to do with me directly. And I think that's something I'm trying to work on in general is like remembering that my content doesn't have to be entirely about me all the time. Because I think that's kind of low-key like what makes me uh, have breakdowns. Lamau. <laughs> no, but like, you know, it's like you have to separate the art from the artist sometimes. And feeling obligated to make things about myself or be very open about what's going on with me or feel like the only things that people want to hear from me are like really personal. It's not true, you know? Like I have a lot of subscribers who probably aren't interested in me personally very much um, and that just like to hear me talk about other things. So I don't know. This is just a guess. But this week, um, I don't know. I, I have read a few interesting articles, which are always great um, jumping off points for my podcast. So I really appreciate that. I should be reading more news and things anyway. By the way, if you guys ever come across an interesting article, especially like a long one, fucking love those, dude. It can be about anything. Um, but if you think I'd be interested in reading it and possibly discussing it, please uh, tweet it to me or send it to me in some way. Because, you know, I just I just love thinking about any of these interesting ideas. And obviously this platform is where I like to expand on my thoughts and really challenge myself to uh, dig deep. So anyway, today we're going to be talking about money, baby. We're going to be talking about finances. We're going to be talking about um, wealth and income inequality. The, the huge gaps between the rich and the poor. Obviously not just financially, but like in society, culturally, personally, um, as much as I can in a podcast that's just me, myself, and some some facts and opinions from internet uh, sources. <laughs> so anyway, before we get started, I gotta give a shout out to my patrons. If you guys want to support the podcast, you can become a patron. You go to patreon.com slash previously gifted. You can check out all the information there. Um, but we have permanent podcast sponsors that I appreciate oh so much. You guys are wonderful, and I really, really love that you love the pod. You know, it's just a lot of love. So we'll give our shouts out. We've got some social media handles, so if you guys are interested in checking each other out, absolutely do that. Sorry, just trying to make sure. I, I never know what's written on my notebook, and it's always in the podcast, so I just hope there's no, like, personal information. Sometimes you just write your social security number down, you know? No, it's not here. Don't try to zoom in. Please. Shout out to my patrons. <laughs> my sponsors. We have Hannah at Hannah Joe Baker. Kirsty at Kirsty J. McCulloch. By the way, if I ever mess up, um, sometimes I get, like... 
things messed up or mix things up. If I ever mess it up, just message me. Let me know. We've got Liz at LizW206, Jerome at Grizzly, G-G-R-Z-Z-L-Y, Matt Barham, Lily Dillon, Eric at Mayweather. My lights just flickered on and off. <laughs> Nosferatu. Um... And last but not least, Joni K. Let me tell you guys a secret. The reason I always call her Joni K is because I don't know how to pronounce her last name. It's like Kin Kinnard? Kinnard? Kinnard. No way is this. I don't know. I don't know how it's pronounced. Joni, please let me know. But anyway, thank you guys so much for being my patrons. I love you guys. Let's jump the frick into this. So, the very first thing I want to talk about is something I brought up with Nathan last night in in preparation for this. Um, I was like, ah, let me spit all some ideas for you. Let me tell you about this thing I read. So I shared this on Facebook. Um, yes, I still use Facebook. I get kind of salty when people are like, I haven't logged in on Facebook in five years. The only people on Facebook are having babies and getting married. I'm like, yeah, probably mostly true, but I like to keep up with my grandparents and the rest of my fam, and sometimes I like to read articles and share them on FB, you know? It's not all bullshit, it's not all cat videos, okay? But there are a lot of cute ones, so maybe you're missing out. Anyway, this is from technologyreview.com, and the article is called, If you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Turns out, it's just chance. And that got me, because I was like, oh shit, okay, it's just my luck? That's, that's doing this to me? All right, I can handle that. As long as it's, like, not me personally. It's just the universe, it's just luck. Anyway, um, I'm gonna read some pieces of this and then, uh, talk about my thoughts. <sighs> the most successful people are not the most talented, just the luckiest, a new computer model of wealth creation confirms. You hear that, guys? The most successful people are not the most talented, just the luckiest. Taking that into account can maximize return on many kinds of investment. So they're trying to use this information and this model um, in terms of business investment, but I just think it's interesting in life. And then it talks about the distribution of wealth following a well-known pattern sometimes called the 80-20 rule. 80% of the wealth is owned by 20% of the people and therefore 20% of the wealth is owned by 80% of the people, inversely. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's fucked up. Um, just eight men had a total wealth equivalent to the world's poorest 3.8 billion people. Eight men have the same amount of wealth as 3.8 billion people. <laughs> that's, that's quite a gap. Quite a gap. Um, but apparently this 80-20 thing um, happens on all scales in all societies. It pops up in a lot of um, different social uh, situations, and it's it's just a law, kind of a law of the world. And I'm like, wow, that's a fucking shitty law, okay? I don't like this law. But anyway, um, the distribution of wealth is among the most controversial because of the issues it raises about fairness and merit. Why should so few people have so much wealth? Um, so immediately I was thinking about people like Trump, who, 
use their wealth to say, look, this proves how smart I am. I must be so smart and so talented to have accumulated such wealth and be so successful. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people believe in that. A lot of people um, believe just simply the harder you work, the more successful you'll be, the more money you'll have. Uh, but it turns out, you know, situations that can be classified as a bad luck occurrence or a good luck occurrence, um, those come into play. And those, of course, impact um, <laughs> where you end up in life. I'm like, it's so obvious, but it's interesting. This is quite exactly like playing the game of life. Like, literally. <laughs> I was like, this is so fucked. We're all just in a fucking board game. We might as well be a simulation ourselves. Um, but anyway, let me get into this. Basically, it's like... Um, the normal distribution. I forgot everything from school, so I don't know. Um, just like a standard distribution, you know, that like bell curve. Um, so they were talking about how most, um, most people's like characteristics fall within this bell curve, you know, like even like things like height. Physically, people fall between this bell curve. There are some people who are a lot shorter, maybe like four feet tall or shorter. And then there are some people who are extremely tall, seven feet or something. But most people fall within like the average five to six feet, whatever. Um, same thing about intelligence, you know, like we have our IQ scale. And obviously there are people who are way, way, way smarter than the average. But that scale still only goes up to one something, you know. Even geniuses only have an IQ of, like, only. <laughs> like, their IQ is, like, a hundred something, not, like, a thousand, you know? So, so there is, there is a level of, like, I don't know, they, they refer to, like, standard deviation and all that. I don't fucking remember stats class, and I barely paid attention. But anyway, it is very interesting. Um, so anyway, those kinds of models just, just showing how, most human traits land, you would think, um, you know, that because talent, talent at something, skill, um, intelligence, those land along the bell curve as well. You would think that wealth would mirror that, you know, like it would, it would naturally make sense if people were rewarded based on um, their actual level of talent or skill or, or intelligence, that the wealth accumulation would kind of be similar to that bell curve, but it's absolutely not, which is a bummer. But anyway, um, <laughs> so this is a really interesting article. I will put it in the description of this video. If you're watching this on YouTube, I might put this in the description on the um, SoundCloud or, or iTunes, wherever you're listening. But you should definitely read this because it's it's fascinating. Um, so anyway, they, they did this simulation and they created these computer models of people, basically, with just random sets of skills, talent, knowledge, um, and then they, like, lived life and would, would have bad luck occurrences happen to them or good luck situations. Um, and then at the end, they looked and um, tried to see, like, who ended up the wealthiest or the most successful. Um, Wow, it's crazy. So, 
Um, the computer model charts each individual through a working life of 40 years. During this time, the individuals experience lucky events that they can exploit to increase their wealth if they are talented enough. Okay, so that's a, a key. Um, obviously, in real life, even if something very lucky happens to you, you still need to have some level of skill, knowledge, talent, whatever, to be able to even take advantage of that. Um, unless you're Donald Trump, then you can be an absolute fucking idiot. And you're born rich, so that helps. <laughs> anyway. Um, however, they also experience unlucky events that reduce their wealth. These events occur at random, just like the game of life, you know? Oh, some shit happened. Your house was destroyed and your insurance didn't cover it. Ah, uh, oh, look, you won the fucking lottery. Here you go. Um, random events. At the end of the 40 years, the people rank the individuals by wealth and study the characteristics of the most successful. They also calculate the wealth distribution. Then they repeat the simulation many times to check the robustness of the outcome. Um, when the team ranks individuals by wealth, the distribution is exactly like that seen in real world societies. The 80-20 rule is respected. Which is fucking crazy, dude. Even in the simulation, it always ends up in the same um, breakdown of wealth, which is crazy. That may not be surprising or unfair if the wealthiest 20% turn out to be the most talented, but that isn't what happens. The wealthiest individuals are typically not the most talented or anywhere near it. Wow. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It makes sense. I, like, I don't know. I'm going to get into it in a second. Um, so if not talent, what other factor causes this skewed wealth distribution? Our simulation clearly shows that such a factor is just pure luck. So, yeah, it's crazy. I'm like, this whole time I'm like, well, shit, I hope I end up being a lucky person. And then I'm thinking about my life thus far and I'm like, have I been lucky? Or have there been lucky events or am I particularly unlucky? I think I'm just somewhere in the middle, which means I may just end up being moderately successful, which you know what? Hey, <laughs> I could be okay with that, but I could also be okay with being very successful, more successful than my talent warrants. I would love that. <laughs> anyway, um, so they're using this to, like, think about how investment agencies or investors should pick what they invest in. Um, and basically, they're saying, like, say if there were a scientific study or I, I don't know, if there were a group of scientists and you were trying to decide who to pick to invest or whatever, their research, um, they basically concluded that your best bet would be to split the investment through everyone, evenly. Because sometimes it's just pure luck that leads a scientist to make a discovery. Um, instead of, say, investing in the most successful scientist who had a chance discovery before, because what what is the likelihood that just because someone's been lucky before that they're going to have another chance discovery, you know? It's it's very, very interesting. So anyway, I brought this up with Nathan. Um, shouts out, Nathan. He literally just left. He's away for a few days. Um, so that's a bummer. But uh, we were talking about this last night, and I got a little heated. I got a little heated. But that's why I like talking to him, because we don't always have the same perspective, which is great, because it makes for a good discussion or, you know, debate. 
But anyway, I was explaining this concept in this article, and he, he, I think he thought that I was saying that, like, he's like, he's like, well, well, people like Bill Gates, people like Steve Jobs, like, they are actual geniuses, like, that's why they are so successful. And I was like, yeah, well, clearly they are very, very smart and talented, but they're also probably very lucky. You know, if you look at their, if you look at their life as like a timeline, I bet there have been very significant events that have led them to, you know, the success that they found. Um, I think he thought that I was saying that like the aspect of luck kind of discredits them or says like literally they're only successful because they're lucky, which is not the case. It's not like, again, you have to, you have to have a certain level of talent, intelligence, whatever, to be able to take advantage of these lucky events, but you have to acknowledge just the the serendipitous aspect of it all, you know, the luck, um, which I find very very interesting. Um, and then and then Nathan was saying, you know, like I just believe he was saying something. <laughs> I got so heated. He was like, well, I just believe like if you work hard, more lucky things will happen to you. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I was just like I was playing devil's advocate for like, say, the undiscovered genius, or, like, you know, like, how many absolute geniuses, like, some of the smartest people on earth are not known, are not well-known, or they don't have opportunities because of where they live or whatever their life conditions are, um, and they never will get a chance to truly take advantage of the talent and intelligence that they have, um, because maybe just bad luck, you know? Like, if you're, for example, if you're extremely poor, you can be a fucking whiz kid at anything, science, math, whatever, uh, art, anything. Um, but if you don't have the opportunities, sometimes just lucky things uh, to take advantage of, you you won't be able to reach the same point as somebody who was in a better position to take advantage of those lucky events or who was just lucky and maybe met someone, made a connection. Anyway, it's just, it's, it's interesting. You know, like, like classic artists who are huge and world renowned now, but found no success during their lifetime. You know, like those are some of the most talented people the world has ever seen. Um, but in their life, they weren't successful because maybe just bad luck, you know? It's crazy. Anyway, that really got me fired up. I love, I loved reading that, and I don't know, it's an interesting concept, and of course you can take it whichever way you, you want. Um, it may not even change your perception of, like, what life is or how, how hard you should work, but I think I took it in a way, like, just a little knock to the ego to all these, like, you know, billionaire CEOs who think that all of their success is self-made, you know? It's like, of course, you have to work very hard to get to that point. Um, but I think you also really, really have to acknowledge that sometimes you're just lucky or sometimes you're born into a very favorable situation, um, you know? Or, or you know, it's a, it's a combination of, like, privilege and your upbringing, um along with luck, and of course, your own levels of talent and intelligence and, you know, other skills. So, <laughs> that's my first thought. Very interesting. I'm going to take a little break, and then we will be back talking about uh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett recently made a statement. Um, let me look. I retweeted this. <laughs> Warren Buffett. 
Billionaire Warren Buffett, doubling your net worth won't make you happier. He apparently said that. So we'll talk about that in a second. Stay tuned. And we're back. All right, so on this Warren Buffett statement, um, the original article was a little piece on CNBC. CNBC. Why does that feel so weird to say? Um, CNBC.com. And basically, Warren Buffett was saying, um, you know, back when I was young and I only had $10,000, um, I was happy. That was maybe the peak of my happiness. And, um, you know, having, having money is a good thing, but it doesn't make you any happier. And it's like, dude, absolutely not true. Um, <laughs> apparently he still lives in, like, the first house that he built, like, back in the 50s. Um, which is cool, you know, we, we love a billionaire who stays humble, but it's ridiculous to say that having more money isn't the key to happiness. I mean, obviously, everyone knows that having money won't guarantee happiness, but it's definitely, definitely helpful, um, depending on where you are, and, 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 I don't know. It's like, if you're fucking broke and you're struggling to pay bills or do anything, having money would definitely help those problems and probably allow you to be a lot happier. Um, you know, like, financial stress is almost everyone's biggest worry and, you know, like, most marriages' biggest uh, problem. So it's like... <laughs> I mean, obviously, it depends on how you manage your money or if you're, you know, if you're ever going to be satisfied or, um, yeah, it's like, are you going to use your extra money to buy um, just material things? Are you going to pay it to pay off debt? Are you going to invest it in something that that you truly enjoy? And, you know, whatever. Um, I just remembered the last thing I want to talk about, but that comes in later. Then there's the next article that I want to talk about, which is here is the income level at which money won't make you any happier in each state. And this is from the Huffington Post. This is actually from 2014, um, but it was updated in December of 2017. So there is a point where if the household makes more than that income level, apparently the average person doesn't get any more happy from that increase in um, household income. So this is based on household income per year, not net worth. Um, but you know, similar, similar thing. <clears throat> so this is called the happiness benchmark. Um, there was a Princeton study back in the day. Sorry, I'm like, I drank coffee during the break and now I'm choking, so that's good. Um, the happiness benchmark in all 50 states. Earning more money will increase your day-to-day -day emotional well-being, but only up to a point. This map shows at what household income level Americans reach a happiness plateau in which they don't report better emotional well-being regardless of how much money they earn. So um, the catch is apparently... This is based on day-to-day -day happiness um, and your overall well-being. But apparently, more money does equal 
greater like life satisfaction. So like overall, when you think of your accomplishments and and what you've done in life, making more money does make you happier <laughs> in that context. But anyway, day to day emotional well being. Um, there are some states, mostly in the middle of the country, where their benchmark is below seventy five thousand. Um, yeah, that's that's mostly. Mostly everything's smack dab in the middle, but most, not most, maybe it's half and half. I don't know how many states. Um, above the $75,000 benchmark is where um, most people are, apparently. So some states below the $75,000 benchmark include Mississippi, Tennessee, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Indiana, Kansas, Nebraska, Alabama, Iowa, Arkansas, Georgia, Texas, Utah, Wyoming. And then a lot more. Um, in the very top, top level is Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Oregon, Connecticut, California, New Jersey, Alaska, New York, DC, and Hawaii. Um, and those are all ranging from 90,000 up to 104,000 with DC. And then 122,000 is the level for Hawaii. So obviously, the amount of money that you'd need to make to be happy and hit that plateau depends on where you live and your cost of living. Um, I'm kind of shocked that Hawaii's cost of living is that much higher to account for $15,000, more than that, um, more than a lot of the the closer um, preceding states in the list. But anyway, I mean, I know, I know Hawaii's especially expensive because of, like, importing things and everything has to come across the Pacific. Um, so obviously things cost more. Just everything costs more. Um, but yeah, it's, like, interesting. Interesting. I'm like, I would, I would love to test this out. I would love to be making $95,000. Um, and just see if, you know, if I feel good. If I feel like that's that's where I'm set, you know? But I mean, I don't know. It, it makes sense. It's like, I feel like once you can cover your bills and you can be comfortable and you even have extra money, um, disposable income for just entertainment and enjoying yourself day to day, going on vacations, but also making sure that you have, you know, your savings and your retirement fund and all of that. Like, hell fucking yeah, I'd be good. And after that, it's like, if you truly have all your bases covered and all of your needs covered um, with, you know, savings <laughs> as all your backups, and then you just keep making more money, it's like, yeah, at that point, it makes sense why why that wouldn't really make a huge impact. I mean, unless unless you have some major gigantic financial goal, but it's like, you know, you know, I get that. It's funny because personally, I just don't know. I, I've been thinking about my own personal finances lately and, like, what I expect in my life. Um, and I said I wasn't going to get personal in this video, but here we are. Um, I mean, I've talked about it, you know? I, I made my growing up poor video, and even some people, um, a few people, criticized me on that video. They're like, well, I was more poor than you, basically. Um, and I was like, well... I'm sorry, but I'm just sharing my experiences, and I did struggle because of financial issues. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Because of my upbringing, um, which is interesting, it's like, 
I don't know. I feel like I was at a point where it was, it was definitely stressful. Like there wasn't any time where um, I felt comfortable or my family felt like truly comfortable, you know, like bills were always looming overhead and, and there wasn't a lot of, a lot of like free disposable income, you know, the bills would get paid and just barely most of the time and that's it, you know? Um, if my parents are listening, I love you guys. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for letting us grow up in one of the most expensive places in the country. Freaking Orange County, California. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. Growing up to where uh, bills were always very stressful. Like, and and, and the, the thought of, like, having a savings account or having um, insurance provided through your employer, like... My my parents have been self-employed my whole life. So just, like, all of those basic things that a lot of people take for granted, like basic securities, a regular income instead of a fluctuating, um, you know, self-employment kind of income. I don't know. All of those things I took for granted. So as I am becoming an adult and I've got my own bills and I'm trying to figure out what kind of lifestyle I want, um, it's strange because I can't... I, I, I don't know how to imagine, like, that standard comfortable lifestyle where you are... I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess it just depends how much money I'm making. Because I'm still... I'm not making a lot of money now. Um, so when I have, like, a full-time job, maybe even a salary, um, I can really work on, like, my budgeting and making sure that I put savings into my budget and... Um, have fun with that, you know? But for right now, I'm just, like, I'm in such a hole with with debt and, like, not making a lot of money. So I'm just paying my bills, and there isn't money left over for me to be like, okay, I'm going to put this away for that. I'm going to put this in my Roth IRA, um, you know? It's like, at this point, I'm like, well, any money I have should probably just get thrown at my debt, because that has interest. So really, there's no point in me having a savings account that has a much lower interest rate of growth than, you know, all this debt over here. So once I can get in a position where my debt is very manageable and I can be making big payments, um, hopefully more than the minimum, but also still have more (laughs) income to, you know, mess around with, I'm like, wow, what a dream! Ugh, anyway... It's very interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Again, Nathan and I talk about this a lot um, because, you know, he grew up, I'd say, very comfortably. Um, His dad has his own business and his mom has always worked, um, you know, other jobs and and been a mom as well. So, um, yeah, he's had a different experience than me, but also... Obviously, Nathan's parents work very hard. I love them. They're great people. Shouts out. And Nathan himself works very hard. So, you know, it's not like he's had anything particularly handed to him. Um, but I don't know. You just, you can't, ex- you can't compare the experience of like, um, I don't know. I'm getting too deep into this. <laughs> and it's always hard because it's like, again, when when you or I or whoever, when one talks about the difficulties they've had growing up. Um, I guess it just makes other people who had it better, so-called better, um, it makes them feel uncomfortable because it almost makes, I can assume it makes them feel like, oh, did I not work hard enough because I didn't have as many struggles as you? And then 
there's always the people who had it worse than you who are like, well, you think you had it hard? I had it twice as hard, you know? So anyway, I just, I can't wait to learn um, really great financial skills. And I, I really would love to be very savvy and smart. Um, and I would love to start, you know, my retirement savings plan and and uh, my, my retirement fund. I don't know. I'm like, what? What's a, what's a college savings account for your kid? What? Why would you do that? Um, I haven't even graduated college. Anyway, um, <laughs> I can't wait to get to that point. And I would absolutely love to get to the point where I hit a plateau, a happiness plateau based on my income, where I'm like, you know what? We've got fucking everything. I could make 20 more grand a year, but um, I'm totally happy as is. And uh, we are we're paying down our mortgage and we've got all this money in the savings and uh we're being very responsible i would love that my goals goals financial security goals everybody (laughs) let's talk about some real goals you guys let's talk about maxing out your employer's contributions to your retirement fund that's goals anyway (laughs) let's take a little break and next we are going to talk about student loan debt Um, Oh, before I do that, I want to talk about just one tiny little thing. Because when it comes to um, wealth inequality, income inequality, all of this, um, you have to remember how big of a a racial divide there still is. So you look between the super uber rich, you know, the crazy billionaires, and the rest of the people. um, And that's obviously huge. But also, the gap between white families and black families, Hispanic families. Um, this one this one little dot I have here says, in 2013, the average white family's net worth was 13 times the average net worth of the average black family. 13 times. Isn't that absolutely fucking insane? And on this graph, it, it went back to maybe the 80s. Um, at the beginning, it was like the average white family was 12 times the net worth of a black family. Um, and then it got to a point where it was only, quotes, um, six or seven times more. Um, and then it went back up to now 13 times. The ratio is 13 to one uh, for net worth. And, and that's pretty crazy. It's very, very crazy. There was another statistic that I didn't write down, um, but it was something like... It might have been, like, um, eight, maybe. <laughs> Why did I not write this down? Some small amount of billionaires um, own as much wealth as all of the African-American families in the U.S. and, like, half of the sp- Hispanic population. Um, so that's just, that's, that's very striking. It's it, it blows my mind. And again, I, that's something that I I can't directly relate to because I'm not black or Hispanic. But obviously, as somebody who has, um, you know, had a lot of financial struggles in my family, I can understand. But really, truly, can I? Like, I don't know. But it, it is crazy when you look at the averages um, and we talk about, you know, how much the middle class is struggling. You have to... You have to emphasize the difference between what the middle class means to, you know, a white family, white middle class, I think is 
drastically different than black middle class or Hispanic middle class because they're not equal. And there are obviously huge societal um, boundaries and reasons that it's so much more difficult for black or Hispanic or any minority families to gain, you know, income or wealth um, and increase their net worth. It's crazy. It blows my freaking mind. Let's fix it, everybody. Anyway, next up, we're going to talk about student loans, and then we're going to talk about universal basic income, bitch. I didn't know how much I wanted to talk about this until I turned the camera on, and now I am so stoked. God fucking damn it. Stoked and psyched is what I am. All right, let's take a break. Bye. And we're back. Okay, so now I want to talk quickly about student loan debt. I recently saw a thing on Facebook. Shout out. Sponsored by Facebook. Thanks, Mark Zuckerberg. I should stop. I should really stop. I should stop having coffee before this podcast. I suddenly can't speak. Okay. Um, student loan debt. I recently saw an article um, basically saying someone was trying to propose wiping out all of the student loan debt, just forgiving all of it, all of the federal student loan debt, at least. Um, and then I was reading the comments, and actually most people in the comments were saying, I don't need my student loans to be completely forgiven. I just need a manageable interest rate, you know? So, and I find that pretty shocking. You know, people aren't expecting some pie in the sky, so-called, um, you know, complete forgiveness of their student loans. They just need these <laughs> these existing loans to be manageable. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully we can get to a point in the future where our graduates uh, and people who don't graduate college, uh, where young people are not so heavily weighed down by such unmanageable amounts of student loans, but also such unmanageable student loan interest rates. Um, it was interesting, the, the article about student loan debt forgiveness, <laughs> forgiveness, forgive me, the article was like, I mean, obviously this would have a bigger impact on, on some people than others, you know, um, is it fair to forgive um, a wealthy student's student loan debt and they're going to be making a ton of money anyway? It's like, I don't, I don't care. Like, if you're forgiving all the debt, forgive all the debt. I don't care that it it impacts someone who's more wealthy less, like they personally, like they could have afforded to pay off that debt, you know? Um, I'd just be like, dude, it, it's overall a good thing for everybody. I mean, because the argument is if we forgive this, this overbearing debt, this heavy, heavy weight on the young people, um, that people 20 to 30, even, you know, older than that, they'll be able to afford more things. They'll be able to spend more money because they won't be investing hundreds of dollars investing. They won't be having to pay hundreds of dollars every month um, for their loans like they currently do. They would be able to maybe get a mortgage or maybe they'd be able to afford other things, you know? Um, but yeah, it's like, fuck, student loans. <laughs> I've told you guys I'm already looking at mine and I'm a little concerned about um, having to get any more um, because I'm already making payments because I haven't been in school now, you know, past my my deferment period. Deference? <laughs> um, 
yeah, it's it's shocking how many people uh, don't know how much they have in student loans before they graduate. Of course, I've been looking at mine and, you know, keeping it up to date because I had to start making payments. But for a lot of people, you know, they they go through and every year they, they do the financial aid situation and they, they sign up for their awards and they accept their loans. But then you get to the end and you graduate and then you actually check and some people... <laughs> just completely apparently have no idea even though you have to like agree to it as you go I think it's just like it's not it's not a real number to you when you're when you're thinking okay five thousand dollars this year or this semester and then it adds up over the course of four or more years and you're like oh fuck that is a big grand total so apparently um the average balance is thirty seven thousand dollars the average monthly payment is $350, and the median payment is $203. Um, so for you <laughs> people who aren't math whizzes like me, <laughs> uh, median is like the most common, the most commonly occurring. If, if, you, if you set all the student loan payment amounts from lowest to highest, and you literally counted to the very middle number, um, that would be 203, and there would probably be lots of people paying 203. Is that right? Or is median the- oh my god, I'm so stupid. Fuck. Um, I may have just explained that wrong. If I did, please delete this podcast from the web. Um, anyway, median- median's different than the average, because the average can be artificially, you know, heightened or lowered based on, like, very dramatic amounts. So- Anyway, you can basically say most people are paying somewhere from two to four hundred dollars in student loan payments every month. Um, there are some people who pay a lot more than that, which holy fuck, I cannot imagine. Um, and obviously, that's a significant amount of money. You know that that is the amount that you could pay to be leasing a brand new, really nice car, or even just trying to pay off an older one. You know, financing a car or adding that amount of money to your possible rent or housing or mortgage budget, you know, that's a huge difference. Or even just any of the other bills you have, food, savings, like it's, it's a lot of money. And that is every month for some people have payment plans of 10 years, 20 years. It depends if you choose an, an income driven repayment plan, but, um, it's crazy. It's crazy to imagine shelling away that much money all the way through your, you know, 20s and 30s, maybe. And it's it's hard because, I mean, for me, I think about my, <laughs> what my student loans have done for me so far. And obviously, it's like they've given me two years of college experience. Um, but yeah, a lot of those credits aren't probably going to transfer. <laughs> and then... I have to finish my loan for it to be, you know, worth it in any capacity in that sense. But basically, I gave myself loans to just live and do the college thing. So a lot of my loans were covering housing. So it's like that paid basically my cost of living through my freshman year and a lot of my sophomore year. And definitely a lot of my loans accounted for my um, <laughs> my semester abroad. So it's interesting. It's basically like I, I allowed myself to live like 
basically bill free aside from like the the recurring bills and things and I was making some money that covered like day-to-day expenses but anyway it's like I forwarded myself two years of rent payments and so I'm gonna be paying that that rent from when I was 20 21 when I'm 27 you know (laughs) think about it that way it's pretty crazy um I guess it's worth it because I don't know. It's like, would I rather have not done any of that? If I only lived for what I could afford through college, I wouldn't be able to afford to go to college. I don't think I would. Well, I don't know. Maybe I could work a full time job and afford to pay all of my rent, you know, make it work without any loans. But, um, you know, it's hard when you're going through school. The thought of like having to carry a full time job at the same time and just have enough energy and time um, to do all of your work and all of your schoolwork and like really stay on top and stay motivated is super difficult. I was actually just reading um, a Facebook post from one of my friends from New Orleans who I went to school with um, and she was talking about how um, basically like she's been working a lot to be able to afford going to school. And sometimes people ask her why she works so much. And she's like, oh, I don't know, because I, I like my basic necessities, you know? It's like the, the idea that some people go to school and have all of their expenses covered, I mean, that's baffling to me. But especially for someone who is trying to not take out loans or is trying to take out minimal loans and they're trying to pay, like, their whole $700 rent in addition to all of your other bills, you know, it's like you do have to work a lot and like making the time to even get that many hours while you've got like 15 to 20 hours of school, you know, classes and on top of the work required. It's like, fuck, holy shit. (laughs) So anyway, a few of my other classmates were saying that they have been working full time all throughout college and how difficult it is even just to have like your professors understand that sometimes you're going to miss class because you have to go to work, you know, to even be able to afford to be in school, you know? Um, But yeah, that concept, I'm like, (laughs) what the fuck is it like to, first of all, have your parents have a a college savings account that covers all your college or like most of your college? Like, wow, that's crazy. Um, What is it like to have your parents literally just pay all your bills? (laughs) and then send you money, dude? Holy shit, can you imagine? Some of you can. And honestly, if you are somebody who, you know, your parents have the means to pay for all of your stuff through college, honestly, good for you. I'm not trying to shit on you because your parents pay for your stuff, you know? I'm sure you get, like, I'm, I'm sure that you work very hard in other ways and that you get to, like, actually focus on school and just do your thing. That's awesome. I would love to be able to do that for my kids. Um, I don't want my kids to have to be so overstressed and overworked through college. You want to be able to have some time to enjoy it, you know? Um, But I just, I cannot imagine how much less stress I would feel if literally the only thing I had to worry about during college was passing my classes. That's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. Other things get in the way. Life is not easy, even when you are financially stable. But the recurring theme of this video, money definitely helps. And not having to worry constantly about how you're going to pay your bills, pay your rent, buy food, that definitely helps. Definitely makes a person happier, you know? 
Um, so that actually is a perfect segue into my last segment, which is universal basic income. If you guys have not heard about it, I'm really excited to get into it and maybe introduce it to you for the very first time. It's a concept that I am definitely a big fan of, and it is becoming more relevant to the conversation of how how societies will work and how we will take care of people. Um especially with AI. But I'll, I'll bring that back in a second. You just you just wait a second, we'll be right freaking back. Concept. You receive $1,000 every month from the government to do with whatever you please. There is no requirement, there is no questioning how you're spending this money. There are no restrictions. It is literally just $1,000 cash, or maybe digitally deposited. Just $1,000 every month. Completely to be used for whatever whatever you want. Basically, that is the concept of universal basic income. So this concept has actually been tested um, in a few places, like small, small populations, maybe like a town at a time. But basically, the, the thought behind it is, what if we give every adult citizen a certain amount of money every month just because? <laughs> um, and basically, the concept is, um, it's supposed to be, it's a form of just like general social welfare, but it, it could help get rid of a lot of... Um, issues related to poverty and um you know it would be given to you whether you're rich or poor you know if you're rich another thousand dollars might mean nothing to you but that doesn't mean that you wouldn't receive it every adult citizen would receive that same amount of money and for the purpose of this discussion we'll leave it at a thousand but sometimes other you know nearby numbers are thrown around um but basically it's like what would you do what would you be able to accomplish if you had an extra $1,000 every month? For a lot of people, that means they could work a lot less hours. They could spend more time with their families. They could spend more time doing hobbies. They could spend more time volunteering. They, could, they, they would be able to free up a lot of their life that I assume is currently, um, you know currently wrapped around how to pay for things, you know? If you have an extra thousand dollars, you... It gives you a lot of freedom, basically. The average person, an extra any amount of money like that would would change their life. Um, and, and, and the concept is like, it's complicated, obviously, because it's like, where does this money come from? Good question. Um, basically, a lot of welfare programs would essentially be replaced with this because if this amount of money could lift most people out of poverty or get them very close to above the poverty line, I mean, if you could eliminate poverty with one simple, you know, one simple concept, universal basic income, every citizen gets $1,000 a month. Um, all of these big expensive programs that bleed money just from um, the bureaucracy of it all. You know, it's like, it's so frustrating. Like reading about, uh, for example, food stamps or um, TANF, TAMF, 
temporary assistance for needy families, um, which is, you know, welfare money that's given to needy families, obviously, and we know what food stamps are. These programs are very helpful, but the thing is that even people who need them, people who fall below the poverty line or, you know, clearly need assistance, a lot of times those people don't qualify or there just isn't enough funding for them. Um, but these, these systems that exist already and these programs, they cost a lot of money because in every single city or every state, you need lots of different offices. There's so much paperwork involved. That's just bureau. That's just bureaucratic mess. Um, that it costs a lot. Like you know, it, the more overly complicated something is, the more it costs in literally just administrative costs, uh, overhead costs, which take away from the actual funding for what the program is designed to do. Ideally, you would save as much money as you can in overhead and give as much of the funding to the people directly. Um, so with an idea like universal basic income, um, a lot of those programs could be shrunk by a lot. Um, and we could get rid of a lot of the need for all this paperwork and all this back and forth for these programs and all of the applications and things because it would just be simple. Um, I love this concept. And, and the reason that it's being discussed more and more often recently is, like I said, with AI. And just basically, like the job crises in general. Like, in the future, are we going to have enough good paying jobs to support all people? And I mean, we're having a struggle with that right now. The more human jobs are replaced by computers um, or things that can be done more efficiently by a handful of people instead of thousands of people, you know, our manufacturing jobs, all of those kinds of jobs that we've already seen major losses in, how are we gonna make up for that as a society how do we keep people afloat? Because I, I absolutely believe in um, elements of democratic socialism, and um, I, I, I believe it is, it's completely immoral for us to allow people to be chronically homeless and um, to have families be, you know, unable to house and feed their children, and, and even just an average person, even if a person, um, I don't know, is incapable of working or, or doesn't want to work. I don't know if I actually believe that. I just, I don't, I don't like the demonization of people in poverty. Um, I would like to see programs just seek out to help people and not, um, not discriminate so much, not, not blame so much, especially when it comes to, for example, like addicts. I don't think that we should blame addicts or not help them. I would love if we had programs that would help rehabilitate them and get them, you know, back on their feet. And I think that a program such as Universal Basic Income, um, it can help accomplish a lot of things. And like I said, it, it just gives people a bit of breathing room um, that would hopefully allow them to do better things. And I think it would improve society overall. The U.S. has such a terrible work-life balance. There are so many people who are in poverty or who are barely, barely paying their bills who work two full-time jobs, you know? And, and um, people who don't have insurance despite working 60, 70 hours a week because they're working multiple part-time jobs. It's just like there are just so many unfair problems. And I don't think that 
asking or requiring people to work more hours is fair. I think what we we need to do is restore life, you know? People work better when they're not overworked. People can be a lot more efficient. They can be a lot more successful. They they are more pleasant. They, you know, a happy worker is going to be a lot more helpful than someone who's struggling. Um, so yes, I just, I love this, I love this idea. Obviously it's very complicated and figuring out exactly how to pay for it is difficult, but I, I believe that a, a blanket form of welfare, um, for everyone would be so incredible. And, and that's the thing is like, people don't even like the term welfare, which is terrible because it's gotten such a bad reputation for no reason. Uh, (laughs) there was a book I read in one of my classes that I'm just like, it's like running through my head right now. Um, it might be $2 a day. I'm not sure. Um, basically Reagan was responsible for creating this concept of welfare queens, which was literally just like a made up idea of like, what if the people on welfare are actually just taking advantage of the system? And you know, these are the people who have babies just to get extra benefits. It's like, it's horrible because it makes, it makes the entire concept seem like a sham, you know? And that's what makes people, some people look down upon people who are on welfare. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. It's like, if we could really give quality assistance um, and funding to people who need it, um, I don't know. The thing is, most people on welfare really, really want to be able to work. And just naturally, people want to be able to support themselves and support their families on their own. Um, but in a lot of situations, you know, just like we were talking about, bad luck, a lot of people just get a lot of bad luck and then they get stuck in a place where truly a lot of the cards are just stacked against them. Um, so I think being able to give people opportunities to help themselves and get back on their feet, um, it's a huge thing. Anyway, there is a documentary that's being worked on called Bootstraps, which I learned about at the People Summit last year in Chicago. Um, they are funding universal basic income for their like study subjects so they've got people all over the country who have been given some amount of money every month i'm not sure exactly how much it is it might be like 800 dollars, something like that um but they're they're doing this experiment to follow these people and see how they spend their money and therefore how they spend their time if they decide to maybe work less hours or whatever Basically, it's just a social experiment in work testing out, you know, how universal basic income could work or how it it impacts people and, you know, how it could change lives. My camera shut off a long time ago, so sorry, YouTube. Um, But thank you guys for listening. My throat hurts from talking. I need to drink some water and I have to start work in an hour, but I'm excited. Um, It's been a good day. It's going to be a good day, and I really uh, hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. If you're still listening, please comment down below or leave a review on iTunes. I really enjoy the feedback, Um, and I love you guys. My throat hurts so badly. Okay. Okay, thanks. Bye.